Okay, guys, it's been a while since we recorded one of these. Um, how are <laughs> how are you doing? Uh, doing real well. Excited to be back. Um, I wanted to uh, apologize for just a moment for the lapse since the last one. Uh, as you guys know, I got recruited by an elite top-secret space force, and uh, as you might expect, it turned out to be a Ponzi scheme. So... <laughs> I think we're all a little bit embarrassed. Uh, me most of all, but you guys should be too. Was, uh, they were just selling like models of space shuttles or something. Well, like... so I, I was under okay. Right. Well, I was under the impression that I was going to be taken to a comet far outside of Saturn's greater asteroid belt. And I learned a cool thing about um, I think they're called like belt comets or belt asteroids, which are I think they're ribbon. Maybe there's like a cool. This is true. There's a cool name for uh, the the bodies in space that sort of lead the, the shape and configuration of a ring around a greater body. Uh, I was looking this up the other day. It, Asteroid belt. Uh, there's, there's a different, it's, a, it's the actual, uh, so the, the ring is set up uh, based on the gravitational pull of the, the, the planet, but it's, its shape is made, like the, the formation that it takes is basically following a, uh, yeah, anyway. Right. I was I was said to be stationed on, on base on the the planet side side of one of those um, uh, going around Jupiter and it turns out we were in a creepy guy's basement and this is like the fourth time this has happened to me so I mean you can't uh, you gotta stop like just following those Craigslist ads all the time man like no, uh, you, like you gotta you gotta be working off of Indeed at the very least you, you get it enough uh, ad hoc space shuttles and one day you're gonna reach the stars. That's it's always been my life. I mean, uh, how many of these have been made out of cardboard, Wes? <laughs> it's well, it's unclear because you put tinfoil on the inside and you don't know what it's made out of because you get it in a blindfold, obviously. <laughs> so then you just see that Reynolds wrap pasted everywhere. It's like, yep, totally a space shuttle. To- obviously, you would want to airtight it with something. <laughs> you don't want the, you don't want the outside of space to get in. <laughs> <laughs> we all know Reynolds wrap is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Odd Splice, brought to you by the Reynolds Corporation. (laughs) Anyway, welcome to Odd Splice. Uh, uh, Starting off a little different here. Um, Yeah, as you can probably see by the episode description, um, this is not our episode on queerness. Uh, We fucked up this week, guys. Uh, We, uh... You know what? I'm gonna interrupt there. (laughs) Inter, inter, interrupt. Interject, mayhaps. Mayhaps. Um, You ejaculated. Which means to, to, to... Exclaim. Right. Uh, I know dictionary (laughs) well. I know word book. Uh, Word book in brain. There it is. Josh may claim we fucked up. I'm not going to put this one on us. Really, you know, YouTube doesn't have captions. What the hell? That's not (laughs) us. That's true. Also, I mean, yeah, thanks YouTube for uh, the only apparently available digital copy of one of our selections. Uh, cropped weird, uh, sped up to like 1.5 speed, and no subtitles, and it's a Swedish movie. Um, so, uh, was, right, yeah. That's the thing that uh, taking this one seriously is is going to prove historically to be the right call. 
Um, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I think that was like a serious pick. It's just like nobody can fucking find oh, that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I so mean, not not pivoting in the moment and deciding, you know, right to, to compromise. No, yeah, we do want to do this one right, uh, which is yeah, I think that's a that's a good move. Um, and, and to clarify for all you listeners out there, Josh's pick was originally "Show Me Love." Yeah, yeah, uh, by the great uh, Swedish auteur Lucas Mudison. Um, it's a great movie. You should, guys should we should watch it sometime because I I do have that DVD. But yeah, it's basically not available to stream anywhere. So I mean, the I'd love to cover it sometime, but the appeal would be really limited. And I think there's just plenty of other stuff to cover. So yeah, well, yeah. Lucas Mudison is a hot take. He made uh, the Pancake Club, um, Midnight and Pancakes, and the Pancake Express, and uh, those were foundational to me. I don't. I don't think that I would be an artist today if it weren't for the Pancake Express at the very barest minimum. Wow. Wow. I mean, I'm I'm really just thinking of like a cut of Pineapple Express where just every time weed is mentioned, they just over it up pancake. <laughs> <laughs> pancake. If, if not for James Gunn, <laughs> Franco, I watched that movie. <laughs> There is a really cute scene on YouTube from Show Me Love. Oh yeah, that uh, first sucked me in. Right. The uh, yeah. The when they want to go to Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's adorable. It's it's a very sweet movie. Like find it if you can, but like you are gonna have to. It's gonna take some sourcing. I don't know. Maybe check out your local library. They might have a copy. Um, mm-hmm. Just do that on your own time. But uh, just because we want to like eventually turn this into rolling in podcasting dollars. Uh, I think finding something a little more easily available kind of behooves us in this situation. Um, anyway, so that's what happened to the queerness episode. Um, it's coming. So, yeah, yeah, it is. It's coming. I'm not. I'm not going to go anywhere with that. I, Sorry, I, I was. Like, I also was working on something. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, yeah, it was a dead end. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just there. It's already there. Like fait accompli. Uh, it's. Um, so something a little different. Uh, it's kind of a you know a nice little BTS featurette. Uh, we're just kind of chilling, and we're just gonna kind of bullshit for a while. So I mean, uh, yeah. Um, hopefully you find one or all of us charismatic enough to be interested in our interests and interior lives. Yeah, if you've been listening just for the movies, you should probably just watch the movies. Yeah, you're, or you know. You're, you're uh, Go to uh, look up, uh, you know, podcasts by actual trained film critics uh, who have are, are paid to have these insights. Uh, mayhaps the next picture show featuring friend of the podcast, Tasha Robinson. Um, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, we're just going to cover like kind of who we all are, um, kind of our, our individual interests and backgrounds and our critical approaches uh, just to kind of give you a look into the minds that bring you what is i'm sure is your new favorite podcast um but before we do that uh there there is news there is news from the twitterverse uh so i i personally ran uh, some polls on the show twitter account over the past three days uh we've decided to implement a a a, a people's champion um program uh so you know champion josh are you saying that we have an objective and permanently definitive method by which to measure (laughs) who is preferred on this show (laughs) uh uh, i just uh you know figured uh though though these are the rules we abide by they are quite authoritarian and you know i just wanted to uh 
stir in a little democracy um so there were some polls that were uh ran on the odd splice twitter account to determine the people's champion of the first three episodes and uh basically by a landslide it's me um caleb lost uh all those polls now josh rounding to the nearest ten thousand, could you describe a landslide for me 50. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 10,000? 10, 10, uh, 10, oh, wow. It's 10,000. That's an awfully big number. That's now. the nearest 10,000. <laughs> I'm going to divert from my typical authoritarian uh, This is, uh, Be warned, this is fake news, so uh, I'll allow you to, in the, in the interest of free speech, you're allowed to say it, but I, I do have to say it, it's fake news. So I'm going to divert from my typical authoritarian path on this show to... Uh, point people to the facts. I encourage you all to go look at those polls. Go to just take account, and you know what? Maybe just bring two hands. That's all you're gonna need to count how many people participated in three polls. And you know what? Maybe take a look at the last two polls and just bring one hand, and just use those fingers, because that's gonna give you enough count to show how many people <laughs> participated in quote unquote democratic quote-unquote people's champion and we've got other we've got other role early on in our before we actually officially started this podcast that you can feel free to use as well i mean i i welcome uh, a democratic revolt i, I welcome it I, I and also i want you all to know you're stupid <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a, yeah, way to go, insulting the audience. Uh, this is why Caleb is not the people's champion, and I am. Uh, I am I am your man on the inside here, uh, fighting for your rights as the listeners. And uh, I don't take this mantle lightly. Uh, it's, it's important for you, the listeners, to understand that the, the, the trinity is important for our present day. Without Caleb, it would be two guys talking esoterically about video games for nigh on 19 hours. True. I mean, let's not discount that. That could be like a Patreon exclusive thing. <laughs> like, that's where the real dollars are. Just <laughs> With, without me, it would be a good podcast, and without Josh or Caleb, it would be just the rambling of a truly insane person. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I think we've really stumbled on a really good group dynamic because, I mean, we were friends before doing this show and, uh, like, I, you know, did did podcasting um, before you guys were really in my life and then on a whim you just decided to show up and felt like it was, like, I was just, well, I thought it was going to be a one-off, man. I thought it was going to be like, all right, I'm going to do this with my buddies and then you guys committed and we've made you know three episodes that i'm pretty proud of and we're establishing a dynamic that i think has some legs on it um so i'm looking forward to you know keeping on doing this uh yeah this too when it, when, when this all started is just a before there were ever talks of friendship and we were just thinking about uh being a podcast without being friends first my first thoughts were uh, that guy lives pretty close to a pretty solid sushi restaurant, and this could, is true. could this get me into space? 
and that's kind of how I weigh all of my business dealings. Uh, it's, it sounds like it. <laughs> and and when, when Josh first approached me about a podcast, we were already good friends at this point, but uh, I wasn't really doing much else with my life. And, um, you know, he really brought me out of a, of a weird place. You know, I was just um, living on a beach and... Yeah, Canada's life was kind of bullshit at that point. You were running like a Fortune 500, 300 company. Yeah, Fortune 300. Ugh. And living on a beach because I could afford it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was down in Miami most of the time. <laughs> and other times I was just here at Lake Michigan Beach. And um, and Josh was like, you know, Caleb, I'm worried about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really worried about you. And this this has been grounding, you know. It's been grounding. Just uh, yeah, reconnecting you with the uh, the life of uh, you know real people and not uh, the fake reptoids that you usually call friends. See, Caleb works at a Caleb commutes to a uh, elote stand in um, Milwaukee now. Uh, it's about nine hours both ways, uh, and you know he comes back exhausted and reeking of uh, steam dried mayonnaise. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just glad we could do this for you, dude. Yeah, it's really been a life changer. Yeah. Are you still running at a, a, a net negative with train fare versus lote sales, or is that has that evened out? Um, you know, man, I try not to think about it that yeah. way. Yeah. Hey, I, I'm not my place. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just be. I'm just glad to be back here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, man. So I mean, we're three we're three different people with different experiences. Uh, I guess we can kind of dive into like uh, I don't know, just what each of our like like what what our critical approaches are, like our influences are, you know, just how we interact with the cinema. I, I uh, have a, a theater performance degree. I was trained in um, critical thinking and analysis of theatrical performative works um, and uh, obviously the creation uh, the things that, that struck with me most in my training were uh, the, the approach to devised and sort of uh, improvised within the rehearsal space pieces um, a lot of my teachers were really really fantastic very likely underpaid people it was a, a flawed curriculum, but a really excellent program bringing uh, teachers in touch with students. Uh, since then, I've been working with one of the smallest theater companies <laughs> in Chicago. We've been doing some really great work. Uh, we're all... Um, uh, it's hard to say. We're, we're, we're artists who definitely deserve each other. And we have been giving back to a community before taking out from it. And I think we're all hoping to coast on that karma someday. Um, my approach to theatrical and uh, film-like criticism is uh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> Not really a theory boy, huh? <laughs> No, no, no passes. <laughs> uh, 
No, I, I, I try to go in with no preconceived notions or few. I try to run it against um, whatever I'm watching. I try to run it against factors like uh, the, the things we've introduced in the earlier episodes. What is it doing? Yeah. How is it doing it? What's the yeah. benefit of the worth? But the initial, I mean, the your ability to weigh those things against yourself comes from the emotional implications. So mm-hmm. I like to think, what is this? What feelings is this inspiring in me? Um, is it doing that for the right reasons or the wrong reasons? Is it doing it intentionally or not? Uh, and uh, I'm my my big skill as an artist has always been, and kind of as a human has always been understanding the context of a thing when the context isn't necessarily presented. Uh, I've always been good at tests because I could kind of figure out whoever wrote the test and how they work and then I can take the test within that context and make the questions. Likewise, I can always, I can kind of crack movies in that way. And so a movie that really impresses me is one that I can't do that to. Uh, I spent, from the first 10 minutes onwards, I spent all of Little Miss Sunshine wondering how they were possibly going to end this movie and after like an hour and 40 minutes of wondering how they were going to do that I was absolutely mind blown at how they pulled it off uh, and I think that's the, the most solid summary of like how I approach movies that I can come up with mm-hmm. hell yeah dog hell yeah my turn <laughs> yeah alright <laughs> <coughs> Um, so my, I guess my critical approach is, uh, following Wes's, um, um, outline, I, I have a couple different degrees in sociology, so that's, that informs a lot of how I think about the world now, and naturally also how I think about movies, how I think about art, and so it's, um, kind of academic, and it's kind of coming from a place of, uh, you know, thinking about larger structures and systems and ways that people are nurtured in different ways versus assuming a particular nature about somebody or assuming <clears throat> that individual responsibility is the only explanation for why somebody is the way they are. But, um, you know, it's hard for me not to think about the world or think about movies without thinking about the context they live in. And um, so naturally, I think a lot of movies that I really enjoy are things that bring some of those things to light in one way or another or a lot of good art I enjoy and a lot of good TV I enjoy too does that well you know and sometimes it can be really heavy-handed like the wire TV show where Mm -hmm. it's making it very clear all the different ways things are connected um, politically and um, and everything else or sometimes it's like really obscure and um, and but also I like, I'd like to think that I don't take myself too seriously, so I'm not, I don't, I don't think that I bore Wes or Josh with like purely academic talk no. that much at all, um, and I'm actually not really good at academic talk, part of why I dropped out of a PhD program, because <laughs> I don't really like that. Yeah. Oh man, but um, I, I do try to bring those, that lens into conversations or how I think about things, but also, I think things I value in movies are things that evoke emotion and things that, um, there we go, get that champagne. 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 Yeah. 
um, I, I think about, or you know, the things I enjoy are things that are evocative and things that resonate with me or resonate with people I know. And I think my favorite movies are either, you know, they're evoking things in me and they're also presenting the world as it is or the world the way I would like to see it be like what you know what possibilities can there be in the world and I think it's amazing when movies can give you a glimpse of that or movies that are really true to like the way that the world is and the way that people are treated or the constraints or circumstances that people live in um, so those are just some of the things I enjoy thinking about and talking about with my buds um, and um, I am losing steam. I can't really mm-hmm. think of a whole lot else to add to that. Um, a, I mean, that's yeah. a pretty neat little package right there, man. What, what would you say are the, are the personal focuses of your uh, sociological attention? Oh, yeah. Thanks for that softball, Wes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, ideally, it's like, you know, always expanding, but in practice, I mean, I took a lot of classes on race and racism and um, inequality in the education system and inequality in uh, terms of like uh, socioeconomics and class inequality and class conflict and things like that. So those things are always top of mind or at least often top of mind. Um, Yeah, but I mean, we've had all kinds of conversations on this podcast too about uh, gender and sexuality and um, and family and community and neighborhoods and cities and all that shit so yeah I don't know is that what you're asking yeah 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 I just, it, yeah that, asking a question usually gets people to keep talking when they feel like they don't have any more things to say yeah mm-hmm. yeah um, yeah I think that's a nice Neats, a nice little way to mm. a nice, nice background as a star nice way to summarize that. A star nice, uh, phenomenal and underused spice, I would say. A lot of great health qualities. Sick. You, you want it to contrast. You, want, you just want to contrast if you're putting uh, a little bit of sweet in your savory. That star nice is a good reminder. Mm-hmm. I guess, speaking of contrast, mm. I'll just add for the listeners I often think of myself as a little bit of a contrast, you know? <laughs> Um, <laughs> walking a walking contradiction, right? <laughs> you know, just a yeah. <laughs> just a walking contradiction. You know, I'm just so misunderstood and troubled, and <laughs> more people don't understand that about me because um, I'm 16 and like I just don't. <laughs> people just don't get it, man. It's it's not a phase, Dad. It's not. <laughs> this is who I am. You don't get me. You don't get me. <laughs> I'm going to be like this forever. You listeners are stupid. You don't understand me. And one fell swoop. <laughs> all of our 16-year-old listeners. Shut off the podcast. <laughs> no, if you're 16 and you're listening to this. Oh my god, this, I am terrified if this actually speaks to 16-year-olds. Like, I, It could be a good thing. I mean, it could be a good thing, but uh, I'm just uncomfortable with like any influence on anyone. I don't, I don't think 16-year-olds should should <laughs> look we, we I, subscribe I to, think they shouldn't <laughs> we, we subscribe to a strict 
no underage listeners. <laughs> I mean, we got the explicit tag, so I mean, if you're like under 18 and listening, um, we're gonna call the cops on you. We're gonna call your parents and the cops. Okay, <laughs> and your priest and uh, oh, your man. senator, um, God, city council All member. Get sent to jail. <laughs> you know what? We hope to send more kids to jail <laughs> for this podcast. Because we're really, really into the carceral state. We think it's rad. It owns... Uh, if you're 16, you have, you have more energy and more volatile anger than you will ever have again in your life. And you should find one cool, good thing to do. Like like charity. Like going to a Ronald McDonald house or, or setting up a... like Just volunteering in a soup kitchen and do that twice a week. Just funnel all of your energy to that. And realize that like squareness, like being not cool, is a it's it's it falls nowhere on a spectrum. It's simply a destination. Like when you get all the cool out of your system, you end up really loving volunteering at a Ronald McDonald house. <laughs> uh, if, you just, if you just rush to that goal, you'll have a more fulfilling life. <laughs> I really don't know if he's being ironic or not right now. I'm, this this is all sincere. I really mean this. <laughs> um. So Josh, tell us a little bit about your critical perspective. My critical perspective, um, yeah, so my background is uh, kind of both in film and video production and also various stripes of academic philosophy and theology, so it's a a nice potent brew of (laughs) some, you know, behind the scenes nuts and bolts uh, stuff and then just some harebrained theoretical shit. so that's like um that background um but if we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of like how i actually interact with films uh there was a critic film theorist that i really liked uh named vivian vivian sobchak maybe she's still alive i don't know (laughs) um but uh she was like kind of taken off from uh phenomenologists which is a whole branch of philosophy but it's all about like interacting with phenomena like sensory shit um uh, but I don't know she theorized like films as like the representation of a separate body so like the camera has organs and like a you know a visual sense and so um, like you're not just seeing a flat screen you're interacting with the front facing uh, sensory or representative organ of a separate body so in a sense you're having a dialogue with the film uh which is a more complicated way of saying like yeah i just it whatever you're seeing on the screen bounces off your own brain like i mean significantly does that ratify uh greater cuts in films oh what do you mean by greater cuts because you're if you were watching another organism's experience you would presumably watch it at a a one-to-one time lapse uh right i mean editing's like part of it like i mean like the yeah the camera's like theoretical obviously there's like authorial intent and whatnot but the point is like it is a conversation you're not just passively it's all about your reception right i mean i I think it's similar to what you were saying like about how you know you're looking for how um a film like evokes emotions in you like um yeah i like to think of it like i i mean i I always thought of it as a way of like uh getting beyond just like simply being entertained by a film like I mean, there are times when, you know, you have to sit down and just let a thing wash over you. But, I mean, I just start from the point that, all right, I'm constantly interrogating as this thing is 
uh, trying to elicit something from me at the same time. So it's, I don't know. I just, yeah. Basically, viewing spectatorship is not really a unidirectional interaction. You are actually sitting there having a conversation with a piece. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of like my my theoretical bedrock. Um, but yeah, then it's like really informed by a lot of leftist political theory and just weirdo theology and whatever random ass facts are uh, floating around monogam uh, whenever I'm watching something. So, I mean, I think like, yeah, similarly to Caleb, I'm always looking for, uh, you know, films to reflect like how the world is or what I want it to be. Um, and I think that really goes hand in hand with constantly being in conversation with the, with a film. Um, uh, that said, I like, uh, I haven't really felt this high in a very long time, but like my favorite movie of all time is Apocalypse Now. Um, because it, I don't know, I think it was just one of the most profound experiences I ever had. It was a movie that kind of shook me to my core and actually led me on a path of questioning that kind of fundamentally reshaped me as a person. Um, like I started off as like, you know, a shitty evangelical white kid growing up under the Bush administration. I thought war was good, brown people are bad. Sure. Um, and then I saw this movie and just through like the sheer shock of it, like I mean it entranced me and then I just kept like looking for more and was interested in ideas outside of whatever. So I mean it just feels like a very, yeah, you know, foundational moment and like uh you know the film gave me something and then made me spurt something back out into the world um that's really yeah cool. man I didn't, I didn't realize that film why that film was so important to you or oh, i haven't ever seen it or I, I never realized that it had that effect that's yeah cool it's great i, yeah. love, I love that movie so much um <laughs> Which, I don't know, like, it, it, having seen it so many times, there are parts of it, like, it's kind of lost its luster, but, I mean, it's still just so, so important to me. Like, um, I don't know, in a real sense, like, I really found salvation in the movies, weirdly enough. Like, I don't know, if I didn't care about art, I would be a very different person right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's... Uh, that's kind of how our, our our brains work, man. Um, I've been realizing in the last just a few hours of trying to ask this question to myself. I think I think my favorite movies almost have to have a layer of of I don't know if meta theatricality is the right word, but of at least like meta narrative of being a story about stories. Um, you love it. I love it. <laughs> uh, the Prestige, Secondhand Lions, uh, in some ways a little bit Sunshine, um, which I've only seen once, so that, that one's hard to rank, but I was really blown yeah. away by I saw it recently. Uh, oh, you'd only seen Little Miss Sunshine recently? Like in the last year. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, what else is on that list? 
choices which set you up to examine the story and uh, interact with it. Uh, the stories that take you on a ride while intentionally asking you to interact with them um, investigatively. Mm -hmm. like you're, you're supposed to be picking them apart. And then the, the surprises come from the conclusions you draw uh, just before you could have reached the real one. Like they, they still whammy you with those rather than rather than everything being see through. I like to be I like to be right, a little, caught in double paint sometimes. A little little misdirected. Yeah, yeah like yeah, yeah. Little Miss Sunshine's ending really. <laughs> yeah, that, that does that. Yeah, that whole thing you you really couldn't write the movie because you could. You know all the characters almost immediately. They're, they're pretty awesome, solid stereotypes. And then you you watch the movie, wondering how exactly this one's going to play out. And like halfway through, you're like, "Well, I I can pretty much write it till the end, but how on earth are they going to pay this off?" And they beat you to it. Or I don't know. Maybe lots of people are smarter than me, but I I loved that movie because I couldn't write the ending to that movie in a million years. There's there's not a world with enough Wes Robinsons and right. enough tech writers <laughs> where I could have written the ending of Little Miss Sunshine. Okay. I, I think I'm going to push back and also like expand a little bit on this for you. I, so it's a few things. As you're talking, one, I'm like picturing like the inner workings of a clock where you want them to not pull back the curtain, but you want to you want to have at least a little bit of a peek at mm. what they're really doing. You want to see some gears turning. You yeah. don't just yeah. accept the clock face. You need yeah. to see the... But yeah. not in a... Right, right. You don't want but, them to just tell you what time it is and you but, walk out of it. But like, you do want to like pop the back of that watch open and see something a yeah. little different. Like something a little unintuitive. But you also want them, the creators, to be able to be self-aware enough to know they're doing it. Yes. Like you hate the okay. movies yeah. that are so elementary that you can see all the workings but you're like... Well, this is just A plus B equals C. Yeah, that's just movies. That's I'm like just, Marvel. Yeah. Like, those are... They're not... I, I'm, I'm not trying to jump on the train. I, I think that they are actually good movies a lot of the time, but they're just... like You, you watch 20 minutes of them and you know like, yeah. everything about the movie. Yeah. That's kind of how I got, like, disillusioned with them, honestly. Like, I don't know. Like, even their spectacle is just so lacking. Like, I mean, yeah. they're really reliably, like, just really middle of the road. And then, like, kind of the discourse around him is like, holy shit, these are, like, the best action movies. And it's like, dude, uh, have you seen anything that came out in a given year in the 90s that was classified as an action film? Like, way more inventive, using less of a budget. And, like, yeah. anyway, that's a, that's a separate rant. No, anyway. no, yeah. 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 There's, there's just, I, I like that clock. I, 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 I think that's mm -hmm. really astute. I, I, I want to be, I want to be led and then misled. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the less I see it coming, the more I'm going to enjoy the movie. Yeah, and uh, as long as long as it's done with a purpose. Mm -hmm. But that, yeah, that's the other thing. Is a couple places where I push back is one, you always use this language of like. Well, I don't know if other people are smarter than me, and when, and when a film does blow you away, they're they're technically smarter than you, which is is hard to gauge objectively. But I think it actually speaks to the way that you like to approach film and and art more more generally. Is not that it's how smart or not smart people are; it's how creative and how fun how much fun they're willing to have. Like I think. For you, you want it to be an adventure, and you want it to be something. Yeah. 
that is so realistic to the point that you don't know what like that's real life right like you always tell me that like the best real life is when we don't see it coming yeah you know yeah like you don't want it to be a plus b equals c because real humans don't often do that yeah we we don't enough we, we do it in reverse we we decide that a plus b equals c all along because that's what happened Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. or we do it straightforward. Like, well, I guess my parents did this, so I'll do this. Or like. Yeah. Yeah. But both directions are not. But well, we decide that my parents did this, so I'll do this. But my my parents ran an insurance company, so I'll open a truck company and also live in a small. And we we make those connections without even thinking about it. And we mm. because we're programmed to find symbolic uh, significance and symbolic uh, similarity. We, we think, God, I'm just in the same trend my parents were and just running a different company, same shit, different day. But we're, we're just trying to, to trod this path. We're, we're just trying to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And using the past to do that is no more or less valid than using symbolism to do that or using uh, identity to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a worker. I come from workers. And suddenly it becomes less about your parents' path and more about who you are to yourself. And mm-hmm. so uh, I work, I, I sell trucks, or I run. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. So, so people who get subvert that that sense of, you know, this is really how stories go: is that they're unpredictable, yeah. and you, you, you can only make sense of them in hindsight, um, without being, you know, postmodern and uh, erratic, without without just you know nonsense happens all the time. Well, that's true, but that's not a good should be surprising yeah and the other place i'd push back yeah go ahead josh i mean yeah it's like a yeah that's an interesting thing i'm like uh i mean i I guess this isn't pushing back but just like contrasting my own approach like uh but yeah always being surprising like uh like uh maybe i'm equiv you know uh equating that for a search for novelty and in film structure or whatever and like i appreciate that too but i also really appreciate like what can be done within formulas like we were talking about like artistic restriction yeah um before how that does force you to be creative um or uh you know a movie we i might force us all to discuss uh, later in this show somehow is the first purge which you guys were like very resistant to do it like i was going to do it on the love episode and i'm kind of glad i went with sorry to bother you instead of that personally um but i was really enraptured with the first purge which is a fairly formulaic genre movie um but then like within those confines of aiming so low it plays with themes and imagery in a way that just had me hooting and hollering and pumping my dang fist uh just yeah watching people who never seem to lose in movies getting getting what for yep exactly so it's like uh that comes back into like having that you know that conversation like letting those images sort of like wash wash over you and i mean like bringing bringing a lot of stuff into it a lot of my own knowledge and and whatnot and just like picking up on something that like maybe this movie isn't isn't really hard underlining but you know you know, it, it's the little secret seasoning that got in the mix and it's all like disguised by like, oh, here, here's like this standard pound cake. Oh no, there's a, there's like a strawberry filling in there. Like uh, there's, some there's, there's a, some, there's something extra like this, this is going to be good, but there's uh, for somebody who's willing to just like cut in there, like um, you get, you're getting something out of it. So, I mean, it's like, uh, 
Yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. That's okay. <laughs> and I think that yeah. ties to what both of you were saying. What I was going to say to Wes was like, it also has to be. It's not just subversion, or like you're saying, Josh. It's not just creativity within a formula. Both of those things are really fun and powerful. It's also like good characters and like good, just like good storytelling. Like it has to be joyful. There, there, there is a subset of the genre where you can see where people were trying to be torture artists. <laughs> yeah. And, oh yeah, like uh, yeah, uh, for. I don't want to use the word postmodernist too lightly, but like like edge lords, like you find them like people who are just ah, is this fucked up enough for you? Do yeah. you get it? Uh, no, yeah, uh, joyfulness. Um, like it has to be made out of like if we're looking at the people who actually create things, I want a real sense of joyfulness, playfulness, and love to animate these things. Um, I just watched uh, Date Night. Ah, yeah, Steve uh, and Tina Fey. Oh, I think I yeah I saw that in theaters back in the day. It's a it's a wondrously mediocre script. It could have been written by literally anyone. If you're listening to this podcast and you're 16, this is a script you could have written a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> yep. However, it was directed by people who said, "Let's take a bunch of takes of the these very very good improv actors that we've got for this movie, uh, doing improv lines." sort of the structure of the show the movie uh, they got a bunch of takes they're all in the bloopers uh, and they went with the best were their favorite ones and the ones that made the most sense for the movie so they don't they kind of like don't have over improv syndrome because mm-hmm. they, they they just kept it going they just kept the camera rolling and like let them get a bunch of takes out and then just went with the ones that fit the most together mm-hmm. and everybody else who's not like a trained who's, who's not the star of the movie kind of gets the shaft they, mm-hmm. they kind of get uh, not exemplified because the writing is so bad that what's the point of yeah. being in this movie? I don't know. Uh, I, I will admit the only thing I remember from that movie is the villain William Fickner going, yes, sex robot, uh, as uh, Tina Fey is pretending to be a stri- uh The whole sex worker Tina Fey thing, that's, that's a bad conversation. Anyway, continue. Sorry. That, Derailed it. It's a great moment in the movie. Uh, it's... Um, it, uh, above all, the even even more than it's a great vehicle for Steve Carell and Tina Fey, it's uh, it's just a joyful movie. Everybody, who, there's no way you can make a movie that feels like that without most, if not all, of the people on set all the time having fun. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it was it was just clearly a good time, uh, and that's if you're 16 and you want to be a filmmaker. <laughs> man, don't, yeah. Don't I... listen to the get out of here. What are you doing? Go to bed. <laughs> oh my god. Why are you listening to this? <laughs> oh, I hate um, you. I hate Ke- you so much. <laughs> Chell. Caleb. Yeah. Chell. Uh what are what are some of your favorite movies? Oh wow. We're doing this? Yeah, we're doing this. I guess you're top one. I think I know his top one. I think you all know my top one. Say it the same time. Three, two, one. Remember the Titans. There we go. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I've heard of that movie before. <laughs> Man. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I do distinctly. Uh, it was 
early we watched this together earlier this summer we did um, and it was a it was a magical evening it was yeah I, uh, yeah that's still my just top ex- one expound on on that i'm happy to i mean you know ideally we'll find a way to work it in this podcast at some point oh yeah potentially, potentially. well i mean one of the one of the upcoming topics is good denzel and i think that's a Ooh. very that's a a, a a, a definite contender for good Denzel it's as opposed to grim Denzel. Is that everywhere they went, people wanted to mend who they were, so they told their. Who we are. So, so we tell our. <laughs> so, so we tell our. <laughs> We are the Tardens. <laughs> <laughs> we are the Tardens. Hurt, hurt. We feel hurt. Hurt. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, why is why is Remember the Titans your favorite movie? To be honest, it's mostly sentimental at this point. Well, I'd say it's like the percentage of sentimental is growing, but. I might have reached an equilibrium with the sentimental value and the the like actual critical value of it being a decent film. It's a really solid film. It's movie. yeah, um, it's a solid film, and it's not all fluff. No, no it's, it's not. not. Um, I yeah, yeah. I think I yeah. I mean, I watched last time I watched it was with you. Uh, yeah, like last summer, and I hadn't seen it since I was in like middle school. And <laughs> fair enough. Like. There's some like Disney cheese in there, but it's like it for for being like a middle budget Disney movie. Um, all the actors are firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a, you've got Denzel, of course, uh, Argos, um, that like balding white guy that's in a bunch of Michael Bay movies. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, who was just like a I forget his name, but he was like a ubiquitous character actor mm-hmm. out around that time. Does uh, a lot of audiobooks. Oh. My parents rent them from the library. And he does them, and my dad's like, he's great. That's it. <laughs> he does all the voices. <laughs> oh, oh, that is a beautifully, like, just dad. Um, it's a movie that's that about a half generation before its time. It starts to ask. Or maybe right. I mean, like, oh, I there think... was a lot of, like, at least, uh, I mean, they've been doing, like, heavy, like, civil rights movies and stuff. I mean, but it's, like, we're getting, like, similar movies that really paper over a lot of those issues. And this, like, movie was, like, yeah, this is a football movie set in the Deep South, and we're not really going to condescend to the racial tensions going on. I think that, I, I would call it a movie that about half a generation early, it begins to ask the question, what if we really cared a lot about stuff? Because it was it was right at the beginning where it's it's what like ninety seven it's like the, the late nineties. Um, I've got it pulled up here. Is it the early aughts? I feel like it's the early aughts, but I could be very wrong. Is it like the year? I'm gonna say the year two thousand. Yeah, the year two thousand. Yeah, so the year two thousand. It's it's right before like the dawn of edge lords. Uh, it's it's in the nineties when when comedy. Or, or when movies were sort of based on the success of sitcoms, which was its own sort of like revolutionary trend. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the '90s was like the the heyday of the PG thirteen comedy, right? Yeah. Like, um, mm-hmm. 
I don't uh oh man, I have a well continue. I do have a whole theory of like the R rated comedy, but uh so like in among its peers it's a movie that asks the question, what you know, what if we gave a shit? What if we cared a whole lot? What if we cared about each other? What if we cared so much about each other that we were trying to police each other, trying to judge each other? What if we cared so much about each other but in the in the meantime we we we're not going to take any flag for caring a lot. Like this is, it's everything that's going on is very important right now, and that's we're we're, migra- we're finding our way back to that now uh, with the the post ironic internet culture where we're declaring it, we you know what we we don't want to be cool in this way. We don't want to be detached and removed from it all. That it turns out that was a really bad bridge to a lot of really bad situations. And instead, we're going to decide that we are human, we care very much. Uh, every every action, every person is very important. And remember the Titans was uh, a benchmark, it was a flag carrier for that sentiment. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is, I wanna come back to that, but I'm deep in the IMDB. <laughs> and This is Caleb's favorite movie, and me and Wes are waxing philosophical. And I'm like, just look it up random. First of all, shout out Will Patton, that's the, uh, Will Patton. That's Kokios's okay. name. Kokios. Will Patton, famous uh, audiobook uh, voice actor. Um, other fun facts, Wes, you'll love this. The director was Boaz Yakin, or Yakin, Y A K I N. One of the writers for Now You See Me. No way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those of you out there who don't know, Now You See Me is one of my most guilty pleasures. I did watch it, I, at least the first one with you, and it is a delight. I, I can't, uh, I can't. If I'm drunk enough, I just turn on that movie like like it's uh, uh, automatic. I, I, when I can't think anymore, I automatically turn on that movie. <laughs> that, he, yeah, he was one of the writers on that. But he directed Remember the Titans. <laughs> that is such a weird pairing. Um, yeah, so it, it is doing that. I mean, it, it's definitely a cheesy Disney film. And I think in there's, there's no shortage of feel-good stories of black and white people overcoming racism by becoming friends. There's no shortage of those stories on film or in TV. Yeah. And... Disney and all the other big movie producers are 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 love to love to pump those out. I mean, just this summer we had, or or actually this fall, are uh, we talking the Green, Green Book. Book. Oh, I can't. I will not watch that. Who is it? Viggo Mortensen and. Um, I actually saw like a clip of Viggo Mortensen's Charlie Rose interview, and it's like that guy is not woke. <laughs> I mean, he's not. Like, he's not. And it had like Marshala Ali and Chadwick Boseman were both on that panel, and they were just like so fed up with Viggo Mortensen and shit. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, continue. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean. Actually, go go on this derail for just a sec. Whilst I pee. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The low cut socks and the tights are just. Yeah, that was so see, like, weirdly graceful. Yeah, just uh, just a little skin. Just a little skin. Just enough. Just enough. A little something. A little something. Just a taste. Yeah. Uh, did you see the thing about Vigo and like wanting to go out and kill a black person? That was Liam Neeson. Oh shit! Yeah. Yeah. Which. Yeah, that was rough, man. 
um, but also he is a like sixty year old Irish man. Uh, I'm not defending him. He's racist as hell. <laughs> yeah, because he did not like actually apologize for the racism. <laughs> just like like he ends on this note of like just saying revenge is an illegitimate motive, but doesn't question the fact that like his own racism is what led him to just like. And, like, he just spelled it out. He was legitimately just looking for a random black person to kill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like there's a whole issue of you wanting to go out and kill somebody because, because, of, because you're angry or whatever. It's a whole other yeah. issue to have that one person be a black person. Yeah, that is fucked up. But, yeah, Vigo also, I'm not so, I mean... They're just he's just white old. Dudes. Uh, like, what do yeah. you expect? I don't care about their age. Just I don't know. Like he dudes. was, I don't, he was trying to make a point. Like, uh, I think, well, it wasn't Charlie Rose. Charlie Rose has been like me too, but it was like a similar like PBS like panel show. Um, and they were like, you know, asking because it's Peter fucking Farrelly that directed it. Like, just uh, who was uh, he did like Dumb and Dumber and stuff like he just oh, yeah. you know it was the Fairley brothers they did like there's something about Mary just like these um, mm-hmm. bastions of like the 90s comedy scene mm-hmm. um, or like comedic film scene uh, Wes is uh, doing some pretty solid calisthenics uh, post uh, pissage <laughs> Calis- calisthenics post pissage quite quite empty <laughs> Feeling um, relieved. But yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was all to say. Uh, yeah, they were asking like whether or not like uh, you know it was justified for like Peter Farrelly to like make that film, and then like Figo turns it around and he's like, you know, what if uh, what if Marshala here was really interested in um, like it was some like esoteric bit of like European history, and he was trying to make this like equivalence of those things mm-hmm. and. Uh, just thoroughly, like, you know, just a very, like, simplistic and very antiquated notion of racism as, like, just an insult that you hurl at each other or based on difference or about power dynamics. Like, it is actually acceptable if Marshala Ali wanted to direct a movie about ancient Sparta. Like, that's not... Like, that's basically science fiction to us. Like, it was something like that, you know, or, like, some, like, deep European history, and it's like... Maybe that's not okay. I don't know. It would be more acceptable for Marshala Ali to do that than for Peter Farrelly to direct Green Book, this story about this, and like basically not excuse the white character's racism. Like, I mean, just anyway. Mm-hmm. It disregarded colonialism. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you gotta bring in those power dynamics and how the British basically fucked the world with the long dick of the queen. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's no you're you're always battling uphill. Uh, it's a it's a common trope to dismiss uh, racism as something of the past or as something just less than what it is. To say, to flip it around and say, well, it's probably the other side too. Like right. that's a common like, trope to just dismiss it. To, right. Yeah. A black like, black person hating white people is pretty much justified. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like, uh, and, and like based on yeah history and the way that a black person is normally treated by white people. Like, I it, mean, it's cause, yeah. Anyway, well, it's not even it's not even treatment. It's opportunities. It's yeah, yeah. material material consequences. It's um, like those two things alone, like like far supersede any sort of like interpersonal yeah. 
emotion or resentment. Like it's, but it's such a common trope to say, yeah. oh, well, it's reverse too. Reverse it's like, well, they probably feel that way too. And it's like to say, to do that, you're you're trying to like put it on even ground, and and you're ignoring. But it's a yeah. common argument that people want to flip it around because yeah. it makes them feel better. They're like, well, then I'm off the hook if it's the other, if, right. if there's like yeah. any sort of badness coming from the other yeah. direction. Then it, it wasn't I'm, my fault. He said. I mean, he's certainly just, capable of, of going to Harvard over everybody who his ancestors oppressed. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. It's just a common thing. Yeah, uh, which is all to say, uh, Remember the Titans kind of threads the needle on a lot of this stuff. Uh, yeah. If not in the most nuanced way, at least not in an offensive way. Yeah, and it's not the Green Book. I haven't seen it, but yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna see that. It's, it's that same thing. But yeah, I'm I'm a fan of Remember the Titans. I think it it, uh, it doesn't get everything right. I finally, like, fact checked it this summer. <laughs> I was like, how much of that's actually real? <laughs> and they weren't, in the movie, they're the first school to integrate uh, white and black students. In the, in real life, they were like one of the last schools in their conference. Like, because one of the, the first team they play, Denzel comes out and he's like, he's like, uh, boys, like, uh, I want you to know you're all winners because you didn't, we didn't kill each other up at camp and they all like let out a light chuckle. Like, hey. Now we're friends. We didn't kill each other. Yeah. I can't. Well, Which, there was that one like racist holdout kid on the team that Bertier had to kick off. Yeah, um, and he's. I mean, I think, and when they interviewed the players too, the players were like, yeah, there's probably some people who still felt that way on the team. Yeah. There's no way of knowing, but like, we got through some shit at camp, and like we were we played on the same football team together. But so he's like, he's like, we're better for it, men. None of the other teams have to deal with race. We do. Um, actually says those two lines in reverse but like he makes it sound like they're the only school that's integrated and actually everybody in the district was and just some other you know stuff like that but as a whole it's 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 a moving story and um, there's enough scenes and like enough lines in there to like make me be like alright they they were like tipping their hats like a lot of like actual hard stuff that was happening Um, yeah I mean but it is a cheesy story at the end of the day. Uh, it's I a it's fun ass sports movie, man. I yeah. Think, I think it had its heart in the right place. I mean, yeah. It, I don't. I don't think anybody who directly interfered with making it or was involved in making it thought if we combine races in this movie, we will make more money. I think that they made it because they they thought this was important. Yeah. Not, I mm-hmm. could be well, I mean, I think it was like I think they were looking to make like an inspirational story. They were not making, you know, they weren't trying to like, hey, we're the Disney Corporation. Um, let's make a PG rated do the right thing. Um, like they weren't really like. Yeah, they, it's ultimately not the focus of it. It's like it's um, it's part of the struggle. Like, oh, it's about like people overcoming their differences to achieve a goal. Yeah, you know, and it's that. Yeah, it's the feel good. Which overcame is not story. an invalid narrative, um, but again, like it and it yeah, struck, do, yeah, do the right thing exists, <laughs> right? And it struck a chord with me as a kid, like big, you know, a huge sports fan, loved all the football scenes, really connected to it, and I grew up playing sports um, on like mixed race teams and like teams with like white kids and black kids, and like that was a common experience for me that I could connect with too. Um, so like coming together through sports is like a powerful thing 
in my experience and so I also connected with Move because of that I mean to be critical of it though it's like it it is it is Disney and it is profit like that movie doesn't get made without Denzel Mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't get made by Disney um, if it's not going to make money like at the end of the day it's for entertainment and it's Mm -hmm. to make people feel good but you know what it got me when I was a kid and I'm not gonna stop watching it probably and there, there's so many tiers of that system. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm needlessly trying to defend that it wasn't prop, wasn't intentionally profitable, and I'm sure it was. Oh no, it was completely intentionally profitable. And <laughs> what did not have a leg to stand on. <laughs> yeah, it's it? the fucking Disney Corporation. <laughs> and Denzel but, I mean, doesn't I sign think, up uh, if he can't get a fat check, you know. Right, but Denzel, I think, yeah, it, it reached the movie where people actually had the best intentions. Like, oh yeah, and yeah. and the actors were, were bought in. Yeah. Like yeah. they didn't half ass it and they didn't yeah. like yeah. like the scene when Bertier and Julius oh, yeah. Campbell yeah. are being forced to get to know each other because they're running three day practices until they all they all like interview mm-hmm. each other. Uh players of opposite race interview each other. And so that that scene is like an all timer where he's like, uh, let's get some particulars, let's get this over with. I can't I ain't running any more of these three days, man. Yeah. And he's like He's like, well, what I got to say, you don't really want to hear. Honesty ain't too high among your people's priority list. And he's like, honestly, you want my honesty? He's like, honestly, I think you're, uh, I think you're nothing, man. I think you're a waste of God-given talent. You don't listen to nobody, not even Docker Boone. And he's like, push him, pull him, do something, because uh, every time, uh, he's like, you only look out for yourself. He's like, every time you. Look out for yourself. You leave one of your teammates out to dry. Me in particular. <laughs> He's like, you think I should give a hoot about you? Huh? He's like, no, I'm going to look out for myself uh, and get mine. And no, no. He goes, wait, you think I should look out for you? Oh, at one point he was like, tell your white boys to block for red because they have not locked black for red. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> but then he's like but it's like a no let me finish okay and then he's oh, you can you pull it out man edit this together so it's all one thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> perfect and he goes nah I know you'll see he goes nah I'm gonna look out for me and I'm gonna get mine he said man that's the worst attitude I ever heard and Julius looks back at Bertier the white guy and says attitude reflect leadership captain and that's when it turns. Yeah. And then they become friends. Ooh. And then they go to, pra- they go to practice that night. And, he's, and he starts like yelling at his white teammates for not blocking. And then they start hitting each other like left side, strong, strong side, side, left side, side strong yeah. side. Yeah. And then it becomes yeah. a defense versus an offense in their team. And they've overcome all their issues. <laughs> all at camp. Racism is over, guys. Some football boys uh, learned how to be friends. <laughs> That's right. They put all their differences aside for the football. Yeah. But that's it, it, it reframes it, it. This was all just a competition all along. Like if you can, yeah. if you can remember that, you, you can side with whoever to, to get what you want. Yes. Yeah. Still. Yeah, sports are so competitive that that's yeah. you can't get out of that. Yeah, yeah but yeah, it's 
it's still ugly. It's it's. Oh yeah, it's, I mean, there's, really there's something there. Mm-hmm. It becomes like a tribal thing yeah. instead of like a like a every person out for themselves. Yeah. 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 It's supposed to be a unifying factor, and it and it will never work if it if it can't be. Right. Yeah. There's something communal and like powerful about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sports does. It, it can provide the environment for that to happen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the whole point of sports is like, I mean, the perversion of sports is that it has become like a consequence filled environment. Like, the beauty of sport is that we can work out all of this aggression and need for dominance in a consequence free environment. I mean, that's games, that's sports, that's everything. Like, I mean, if we're, you know, looking <laughs> to the future in an ideal post capitalist world, like, everybody gets to freely participate in these things like we've perverted it by attaching uh like hundreds of millions billions of dollars to Mm -hmm. these games um which yeah i'm not going to demonize any of the people who play those games because they are talented and they're doing uh and they're laborers yes right they are workers um yeah in a weird sense, yeah. <laughs> Not the ones on trial. I mean, yeah, they're generating profits for a bunch of, yeah, billionaires and then uh, hung out to dry if they don't, you know, invest their uh, NFL salary properly uh, and then succumb to the uh, the consequences of repeated concussions. Um, I don't know, that was a long tangent on that, but Wes, what, what is your favorite movie of all time? It's a really hard question for a lot of it. For a lot of time, I would have said The Prestige. Uh, one of the more enduring movies in my life, I think I referenced already, is Secondhand Lions. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why that movie. Yeah, I, that does come up a lot. I'm not that I, do, I, do, I do fondly, because it's, it's a, I remember Michael Caine and Haley Joel Osment are in. Robert Duvall is the and other Robert guy. Yeah, yeah. There's something about, like, everybody getting really into telling a story I've always loved coming of age stories, and I, I think that's one of the most pure because yeah. the the fu- the basic like the outline of the story is that the the manliest man you ever knew was a guy who fought could fight off a hundred men with a saber could could win any combat and win any woman and win any fortune and his mm-hmm. catchphrase is that I won and lost a dozen fortunes and but. Mm-hmm. The, the finality of that catchphrase is and loved only one woman with my whole heart and the, the, the root of the story the heart of the story is the idea that a, that a real man is somebody who can who can love so hard that when he loses that it, 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 he's just not himself anymore it's a, it's a beautiful love story told sort of a, po- a post-mortem mm-hmm. so it's it's framed as a coming of age story but it's really a like it's it's the the far end of um i don't, I don't know it's a rom-com 51st states or something mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a classic rom-com <laughs> 51st states <laughs> 
I mean, um, yeah, I just remember Michael Caine and Robert Duvall, like, uh, what the opening is they're trying to fly a biplane upside down through a barn, and that's how they go out. And that's, that's how the movie starts. It's, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, it's about being a badass because it's silly and you're bored. Yeah. <laughs> somebody even though you're not supposed to fighting for that even though it's impossible uh, winning even though it's unseemly and then dealing with the consequences of that victory and uh, I'm, I'm ascribing too much to it it was a, it was a imperfect like 90s or early odds movie but damn it's just it's just so coming of age mm-hmm. just, or coming of Mm-hmm. everything that you could want if you want to watch a story where a boy becomes yeah. a man it's like the lines is uh, two 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 uncles raise a boy who's with a with a negligent parental system mm-hmm. and his his pet lion is his surrogate mother mm-hmm. uh, and when the when the, when the shit really hits the floor she Yeah, I remember that VHS tape being on like fairly heavy rotation at a certain point in my life. Uh, I can barely remember it, but hmm. I don't know. I, over over the course of our friendship, you have brought that movie up a lot. Because we <laughs> like, talk about movies a lot. We do talk about movies a lot. I think that it's. I I think it's an important movie. It's it's a story about a boy who. Here here's my final summary of this film. Story about a boy who is told by his hard won mentor that when I was a boy, I confronted my nemesis, and my nemesis said, What are you gonna do? And I held up a sword and said, Defend yourself, and I beat him. And so that boy, when confronted with his nemesis, holds up a sword and says, Defend yourself. I don't know, yeah. It's a Warner Brothers film. A Warner Brothers. Okay. New, New Line Cinema, it's a, it's a film production <coughs> studio of Warner Brothers. Yeah, that makes sense. New Line did uh, the Lord of the Rings movies. Hmm. I see the similarities now. Yep. <laughs> oh, uh, Clyde Atlas is the movie I could remember. That's on my favorite movie list. Uh, I can remember if that was one of Josh's or one of yours. You talk about that all the time. Yeah, I have never seen Cloud Atlas. I do own a DVD copy, but have not watched it yet. TV posted. I would love to be part of. I think we have been saying this for years. We should probably uh, set a date to just get that over with. No, I do actually want to watch Cloud Atlas a lot. How long did you watch this? Same boat as Josh. Okay, let's let's do a movie day. Um, Maybe non-podcast related, where we just sit and enjoy a film of Cap Cloud. <laughs> um, is it cool if we wrap it up soon? 
Yeah, uh, thanks for going on this ride with us. It's been very long and very rambly, but I think I can cut it together into something that's like good and insightful because I think a lot of good and insightful things were were said here. Um, so here's this. Um, I think probably within a week after this, I'll have another bonus episode covering um, Blade Runner 2049 with my Twitter friend Anna Stout. Um, nice. So that should be good. Are you guys gonna odd splice it or just do one film? We're just doing one. It's it's like this is a bonus, but that one's also a bonus, like because I've been doing other stuff without you guys. In case you didn't know already. All the better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you should be doing that. Yeah. This, um, is, uh, this is bigger than the three of us, although yeah. all together. But I will say, like, we are like at least three hundred pounds. Yeah, at least. And I think that is an odd splice. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll have that uh, that queerness episode out before too long. I think we've got a solid plan to tackle that. Uh, Over from Wild Child and Child, we are we are we are having we are having having fun. We are having fun. Up where they take the song from, um, oh, what was that 50s musical? Um, Guys and Dolls. Give uh, us one more aspect. Like the, mm-hmm. the most like famous like early musical on film that was like black and white then turned to color. Hello, Dolly. Singing in the Rain. Singing in the Rain. Ah, shit. The Doe, a Deer. Oh, Sound of Music. Sound of Music. Sound of Music. <laughs> That's the late 60s, man. Oh, well, then the mashup with that and um, the, the... Were you guys singing Les Mis? Les Mis, yeah. Yeah. What's the mashup where they take Doe? They do. Uh, yeah. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Um, Doe. Uh, oh, yep, they're... I vaguely remember the blood this. of angry men, black, the dark of ages past, <laughs> red world about to dawn, black, the night that ends at last. <laughs> oh, dear, female, dear. <laughs> red, the blood of angry men. No. A dear, a female dear, ray, a drop of golden sun. <laughs> 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 <laughs>